Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. We have a psalm of confession. It's a psalm of confession. I was thinking back to, I don't know, some point in a children's church or a Sunday school class, someone teaching me, what does confession mean? What is that word confession? And so if you want to write a definition that that I've held with me for quite a few decades now, to confess means to say the same about, okay? It's to speak the truth, okay? To say the same about. So however God sees me, I want to say the same thing about me that he does. Whatever, whatever God says about sin, I want to say the same thing about that. So if God says that there's something wrong in me, I want to agree with the Lord. I want to say the same thing about. So it's not just what maybe some have grown up with in this place that when you hear the word confession, you think of a, a place to go to, to say things to someone maybe you know, behind a curtain or whatever it might be, but confession is to say the same about. It's to be right with God means to confess. So when we say, have you been saved? And we'll come to the scripture in Romans that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, what is it? It's to say the same thing about the Lord Jesus that God the Father says about Jesus, to say the same thing about him. Now, this psalm is a personal and a corporate confession. The idea is a worship leader, an instructor, a teacher would give this psalm, possibly even at night, wait for the morning, you're going to see that in the psalm, but then it would be a response, an invitation for the whole congregation to enter into becoming right with God getting right with God. There are seven of these psalms of confession. This is one of them, Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, probably the one we're most familiar with, Psalm 51, David's psalm after his sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 102, this psalm, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. There's seven psalms of penitence, confession. I wonder how we're all doing at acknowledging our own faults, our personal faults. Each of these psalms, the seven psalms of confession, they each deal with the weight of sin, the confession of guilt, and confidence in the Lord. Those stages, it moves through. I have a problem, here's the Lord's solution, and I trust in him. And as we look at this psalm this morning, I'm just asking us again that question, how are we doing at admitting faults? Telling others, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me for fill in the blank? When was the last time those words came out of our mouths? When was the last time you told someone, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? And then you, you, You clarified what you were talking about. Here's the issue. Here's the problem. When was the last time that we confessed to the Lord in prayer? I hope it's not been too long, possibly even this morning. Lord, forgive me for that thought. Forgive me for that anger. Forgive me for those words. Forgive me for that attitude, for that action. We are the confessing ones. That's what Christians are known as, the confessing ones. It's not just when you come to faith in Christ. It's all of life. Our confession and our prayers of confession, it should be individual, that is personal, and a church, corporate. I've given uh, over the years a format that I use in prayer. It's acts, adoration, confession, Thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Beginning with who God is, confessing my sin to him, 
thanking him for what he's done, and then supplication is a million-dollar word for here are the needs, here are the petitions, here are the requests, and I'm entering him on behalf of me, others, and praying. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That might be helpful in your prayer life to give you structure that we just don't rush into prayer. Dear Lord, I need. Dear Lord, help me. But that we stop and we remember who are we who are we praying to? Psalm 130, if you follow along there in your Bibles, the psalmist writes, and we're not sure which psalmist um, is the author of this psalm. He writes, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. What, we don't know the occasion for this psalm. We don't see anything in the psalm that tells us what's going on. What's happening in the psalmist's life. There's two Hebrew words that help give a timing to the psalm. The word attentive there in English, verse 2. The word forgiveness in verse 4. Those in the Bible are only used after the exile. So it's possible that this psalm was written after the people were released and allowed to go back, but they weren't out of the woods yet. They still faced trials They still faced persecution from enemies. They still faced turmoil from their own sinful ways. Can I ask you this morning, when was the last time that you felt completely overwhelmed? That you were just beyond your ability to even feel like you could get out of bed and and your heart started beating, you're just overwhelmed I had some yellow jackets in my uh, soffit this week. I was a little overwhelmed. I, I got in that sliding door pretty quickly after they came after me. When was the last time you were overwhelmed? Maybe it was because of what other people were bringing upon you, saying about you, how they were treating you. Maybe it was just circumstances. Maybe it has to do with the virus and you're trying to make sense of it. Maybe you have people in your family and they're divided on things. You're just overwhelmed and you don't see, what is it that I can say to bring peace? What is it that I can say to put this to bed? And it's not going away. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. And, And how do I help? Out of the depths, the psalmist says. Out of the depths. Perhaps it's because of your own poor judgment, your own poor choice of words, your response, your behavior. You're you're dealing with temptation and you're struggling and you're overwhelmed. Maybe it's being overwhelmed with anxiety or fear or stress or I don't know what's going to happen and I don't, I just can't pull myself up by the bootstraps and understand that the world is in that posture right now. Now what are we going to do? To whom will we look for help? God knows. He understands what we're going through. And listen to me, my friend. He doesn't run away. I could stand with a family at a graveside on Friday and say, God is concerned. He knows what you're going through. And he cares and he enters into the mess with us. He does not run. There's nothing that he's going to find out about you or me that he didn't know already. And that's why Jesus died. Amen. He's not running away and he's not scared of you or what you're dealing with. He is God. He is on his throne and he cares and he's intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. 
He knows our pain. He knows our problems. Even when we cry, even when we ugly cry, the Lord is not running from us. Will we run to him? That's the question. There are many times when David and other psalmists were overwhelmed by particular circumstances. If you read through the the psalms, you're going to hear all of these occasions and all of these things that are going on against the various psalmists. But this psalm has a very wide and general expanse so that it really can apply perfectly in so many situations that the people of God have dealt with for 3,000 years. It just fits. Say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I'm overwhelmed with. I, I don't. I probably don't. But God does. I may or may not be able to help. I'll pray with you. I'll sit with you. I'll listen to you. I may not have... The, the light switch solution, but if we turn to the Lord, then we can see how God brings good out of evil, out of bad. Where have we been in these Psalms? Psalm 120, the Lord is my deliverer. Psalm 121, a song of protection. He's my helper. 122, a song of peace. The Lord is my peace. 123, a song of mercy. The Lord is my master. 124, a song of rescue. The Lord is my salvation. 125, a song of safety. The Lord is my protector. Psalm 126, a song of joy. The Lord is my restorer. Psalm 127, a song of significance. The Lord is my provider. Psalm 128 is a song of blessing. The Lord is my reward. Psalm 129, last Sunday, a song of sorrow. The Lord is my defender. And Psalm 130 this morning, a song of confession. The Lord is my redeemer. My redeemer. Love that song, my redeemer lives. So what do we need from the Lord? All right, we're gonna see four things here, four truths in this psalm that we need from the Lord to have an unshakable confidence. How can we have an unshakable confidence. How can we, back to the series title, give highest praise when it's the worst news, the worst diagnosis, the worst phone call? Hardest times. Number one, help. What do we need from the Lord? Help. For some of us, it is absolutely dreadful to say, hey, will you come help me? I can't do this by myself. Will you help me? If we're going to cry out to the Lord for help, then it requires that we're humble before the Lord. This requires humility. This requires saying, I can't do it by myself. And don't children love to say that? I do it myself. Okay. But that's a chainsaw. You probably better need some help. Why don't you stand back? You can't even get it started. Oh, you got it started. That's another problem, right? <laughs> wow, you figure these things out quickly, don't you? All right? This cry is from the depths. Out of the depths, the psalmist says, I cry to you, O Lord. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. And then it's a different word, O Lord. It's Adonai. Hear, and the word for hear is shama. It means listen to me, but it's the way you tell somebody, no, 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 listen to me. I want you to hear me. Hear with an expectation to obey. Not just, I heard you. The psalmist is saying, hear me, God. I'm expecting you to hearken to my voice. I'm expecting you to obey my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. This is like a child And this is a a parent or a grandparent that can't quite hear what the child is saying. And the psalmist is saying, stoop down to me. Bend your ear down to me. I want to talk to you. I have something to say to you. The psalmist raises his voice to the Lord from the depths of his despair. This is a prayer for divine help. Often what we have, you know, many of you have joined us online. We've had people every week visiting who have been watching us online. And they're, they're sensing there's a refreshing aspect about the teaching that happens from, from this place. And that is we interpret the Bible with the Bible. You're not going to hear a thousand illustrations about my family. Every now and then something fits and I connect. But you're not going to hear a ton of funny stories 
and you're not going to hear a ton of more about me and more about me and then a little more about me. We want to see Jesus, the Bible says, right? So we interpret the Bible with the Bible, a cry from the depths. Psalm chapter 40 illustrates what is a, a, a cry from the depths. The psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Did you see that whole situation change there? I cried to the Lord and he did all the rest. That's what salvation is, beloved. I want to read Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2 is an illustration of a cry from the depths and the Lord changing about, turning about a situation. Listen, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over my head to take my life. The deep surrounded me. This is a great picture here. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Belly of that fish. At the roots of Of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, okay, here's but, but hang on a second. You brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. There's that word again, has said, steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Listen, we think our pets smell bad every now and then. Nothing like this guy. This guy looked bad. This guy smelled bad. And then he went on his preaching tour. No wonder they listened. He, I, I just wonder, did he still have weeds hanging around his neck, you know? 40 days. The guy, you can't get close to him. You can't smell. Don't breathe. Repent. This imagery in Psalm 130 of drowning out of the depths, I cried to you. It's meant to bring a swift response from the Lord. I've told you, I was rescued out of my grandparents' lake. I mean, it wasn't, I, I, I was four, so it didn't seem like, it, to me, it seemed like I was in the ocean. It was probably just about this. I've been back on that little dock and looked and think, how in the world did I have trouble in that? Why didn't I just stand up? I was probably still too small. But out of the depths, my grandfather, it doesn't matter. There was enough water. I couldn't breathe. And you have to have air. Otherwise, you don't live. We were at the Munoz pool once. I had my swimming shorts on. I was sitting there. I was wet, sitting at the table. Something happened. Lola was in the pool, and she got tipped upside down in the floaty thing she was in or whatever, and I, I froze. I just panicked. Ginger was fully clothed, jumped in the water, and she responded and like Lola and pulled her out, and she gets out of the water soaking wet, and she looks at me like, I'm glad you kept your swimming trunks dry. And I just panicked. I just froze. I looked at the situation, and it just didn't make sense in my mind. I don't know if I was thinking she'll be fine or what. Ginger responded, and she played, it was a lifeguard at that moment. Got in, pulled her out. The girls are laughing. They remember that day. The Lord responds, I'm not a perfect father. Plenty of failures. The Lord is perfect in his timing every time. Every day, in every circumstance, in every situation, the cry is from the depths. The psalmist's cry is desperate. He adamantly admits his need for Yahweh's help. He's saying, hear my voice. I'm in deep trouble here. I need your help. Help. This is a desperate cry. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He said, it is better for our prayer to be heard than answered. 
If the Lord were to make an absolute promise to answer all our requests, it might be rather a curse than a blessing. We only wish him to grant them if his infinite wisdom sees that it would be for our good and for his glory. How many unanswered prayers are a good thing? We thought, Lord, you need to do this and you need to do that. Was that best for our good and for his glory? He does what he sees fit for our good ultimately, and for his glory, immediately and ultimately. We can trust him. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. It's enough if you hear me. This cry is dependent. It's out of the depths, desperate and dependent. Like a child crying for a parent's help, the psalmist petitions the Lord, stoop, hear my voice. I'm pleading for mercy. He's humbly admitting, I'm the problem here, like Jonah did. I'm not the solution. That's hard for some people to admit. To see themselves as, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not, it's me, it's me, it's me. I'm the answer to everyone's prayer. I'm the problem. I'm not the solution. This is why the gospel is such good news, that God created us to worship him. Our sins separated us from a holy God. Sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So paying the price for our sin, Jesus, the second person of the triune God, came to earth, born of a virgin. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He laid down his life. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day so that everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Christ alone will be given life that never ends. It's the gospel. It never gets old. And in every situation, it fits and it applies. And the gospel is simply saying, God, I'm not the solution. I'm the problem. I'm looking to you for the solution. It's Jesus. This cry is dependent. I need help. Save me. I'm wondering, have you ever cried out to the Lord and said that? I'm a sinner. I need you. Save me. Sounds very different than I've always believed in God. I've always had faith. I've always been a pretty good person. I've always tried. I always think that I've been close. I had this situation happen and that situation happen. It's not the same thing as I'm a sinner. I'm headed for hell and I deserve it. But someone told me Jesus took my place, my substitute, atoned for my sin, and he paid my fine. I'm trusting in him. Sounds very different. My resume, sinner. Praise to Jesus. Someone who's trying to be religious, trying to give more, work harder, pray more, go this, do that. It ends up being all about them. And in the end, it doesn't save And it leaves a person tired, frustrated, worn out. I can't do enough. I can't fix this problem. Humbly crying out for mercy, not for fairness. We don't want what's fair. If I get what's fair, I get hell. That's what's fair. It's a plea for mercy. And when someone pleads for mercy, what are they admitting? If someone's saying, have mercy on me, they're admitting, I'm guilty. They're done defending, ah, it wasn't me. They're saying it was me. And I'm asking for mercy. I'm pleading for mercy. Please have mercy. I mean, Matthew's gospel, Matthew presented in the most unusual way that Jesus of Nazareth was the long-awaited son of David, Messiah. Now remember, Matthew's written to Hebrews, to Jewish people, to Israelites presenting Jesus as king. He's the king you've been waiting for. Now listen to how Matthew says, in Matthew 9, 27, here's two blind men, but they see, and they're crying out from desperate situations, out of the depths, they're crying out to the Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The blind men see. Then in Matthew 15, 22, here's a Gentile. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. 
What share does she have in David? Everything. What's her desperate situation? My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And what, to what lengths will you not go for your children? She's heard about Jesus. She loves her daughter. And she cannot solve her daughter's issues. So she goes to Jesus. Listen to me, parents and grandparents. Let's learn from the Canaanite woman. Go to Jesus. She recognized Jesus, Messiah, son of David. And then again, as if the first time in Matthew 9 wasn't enough, Matthew 20, verses 30 and 31, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on a son of David. Then the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more. Like, no, we're desperate here. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And you're not going to silence us. What, what, how, how much worse can it get for us? We're, we're blind beggars. And we've heard that Jesus heals the blind. He can help us. David cried out for mercy from the Lord after he committed adultery, after he committed murder. Uriah the Hittite, he was broken before the Lord. He was contrite before the Lord in Psalm 51. So again, I'm asking you, was there, has there been a point in your life where you have stopped and cried out to the Lord for mercy, where you have said personally, dear Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? If not, maybe today. I would invite you, I would urge you today, trust in the Lord Jesus. We need help from the Lord. What else? We need mercy from the Lord. If we're going to need mercy from the Lord, then we need to be honest with the Lord. The psalmist says, O Lord, if you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Right? Who would make their case in judgment and it hold up? The truth is, we all have a record. We've all sinned. You know, every one of us, we've fallen short. We've missed the mark. The mark is God's holiness, his standard, is himself. So the psalmist is admitting his guilt to the Lord. And understand this, beloved, that when it comes to our sin, God is always the chief one offended by your sin and my sin. In Psalm 51, when David is acknowledging his sin, he says, against you, against you, O Lord, have I sinned. Wait a second, you committed adultery, you lied, you were deceptive, you gave the order that led to Uriah's death, and you're saying... You sinned against the Lord. That's because when we understand that our sin is most offensive to God, and when we are made right with God, that's our chance to be right. That's our only hope to have right relationships uh, horizontally, is to be right with God vertically. He is the one most offended by our sin. Listen to what Craig Broyles says. He says, on one hand, this verse strips us of pride. But on the other, it relieves us of pressures, both religious and social, to try to be something that we are not. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 90, verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. There's nothing hidden from the Lord, beloved. So we all have a record. We will all face judgment. This is, this is certain. Our judgment will not be before the opinions of other people. So Paul could say to the Galatians, I really don't care what people think about me. I don't care what I think about me. What does God say about me? I want to confess that. That's the opinion that matters. We will not be in judgment before the opinions of others and what they think we should do and what they think we shouldn't do, but before the omniscient eye of God. So if the Lord should mark out, all right, that's, that's a word for a watchtower. Think about a prison and a watchtower and armed guards, and they are marking out. Everybody needs to stay where they are. And if somebody transgresses, they go beyond the bounds. We are here for a reason. They will not get out. They will not escape. They will not go commit more crimes and more 
problems in the, in the society and more devastation. And so we have a job to do and we are watching. If the Lord should do that with us, who's going to stand? Who will survive his eye? The Lord's not that way toward us. You know anyone that's like that? They're always watching everyone else's posts. Oh, 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 that post. No, 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 that's not right. Let me correct you. Oh, no, that's not the right translation of the Bible. Let me correct you. They're always aggressive to just point out everybody else's fault. That's the religious Pharisee, the hypocrite. I got to go find somebody that I can confront. I got to go find somebody that I can just say, you know, something you're doing wrong and I'm here, you know, as God's messenger to help you. Where do we need to begin in all of this? Right here with the person that I see in the mirror every day. That's where it begins. If the Lord should do this to us, we can't breathe. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who would stand? Who can survive that type of I? Do not be afraid of the opinions and judgment of men. Don't be afraid of what people think about you. Don't worry how other people worship around you in a service. You worship. You do what God moves in your heart to do. There's all types of extremes. There's churches that are just, you know, no music and just a choir and it's all silent and they worship the Lord. Am I the judge over that? No. There's churches that it's just, you know, going all over the place. You worship the Lord. As a father in heaven, you worship a risen Savior. Do not be afraid of the opinions and judgment of men. Romans 2.1, Paul writes, Therefore, you, and this is a person who judges other people. They're always watching for other people's wrongdoing. You have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you have your act together in every way? Do I? No. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, do you hear that? This is the same as what the psalmist is saying. If you should mark out iniquities, in other words, I'm waiting, I'm watching, and when one person, the people I'm looking at here today, when they mess up one time, they're done, there's nobody then going to be here this morning. Oh, he is keeping a record, but that record for all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus was laid on Jesus, Isaiah 53 foretold. So if he's quick to show mercy, if he's quick to show kindness, and we say we belong to him, shouldn't we be like him? Don't be afraid of the opinions and the judgments of men. But listen to me, beloved. Do not dismiss the judgment of the Almighty. Do not dismiss the judgment of the Almighty. I want you to be ready. I love you. I want you to be ready for the day when you stand before your maker, the creator. Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You and I will stand before the Lord one day and we will give account. So here's the, uh, the reality. We all have a record. We all will face judgment. We're all in trouble without Jesus. Amen or oh me, right? Yeah, we're all in trouble without Jesus. Had there not been a cross and a resurrection, then I have nothing good to say to you and we have nothing good to, to sing about this morning. It's over. But there is. This is the gospel. There's not one person that can stand before a holy and righteous God on their own because we have all missed the mark. We all deserve punishment. Hell is the appropriate response for our sin. Listen, if a kid goes out and picks up a rock and scratches a rock, what's the penalty for that? There's no penalty. The value is like it's a rock. No big deal. If they scratch your car with a key, 
Hmm. Okay, what's the damages done? If you just wanted for a fun family day to take your little children to the local Ferrari dealership, and they just happen to be holding your keys, and they walk all the way down side of that Ferrari and scratch the whole thing all the way around the car, now what's going to happen? Very different than scratching the rock. <laughs> you just bought a Ferrari with a scratch all the way around it, right? When we sin against one another, the offense but when we sin against God, he's the greatest one to be offended. That's why hell is the appropriate punishment because our sin is against the greatest being, against God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. I mean, you've heard the expression, there will be hell to pay. That's the verse for it. But, okay, the word but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the P of the gospel, G-O-S-P, paying the price for our sin. Jesus came, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not fair to us. He's good to us. He is just. So Psalm 103, I love Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. If he were to give us what we deserve, we wouldn't make it out of the crib. And I don't mean a house that you live in. In slang terms, I'm talking your cradle. Because we're sinners by birth by nature, by choice. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he, God, made him Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And where does all the glory then go? To God, to Jesus, that in him. So that's the difference. Are you in Christ this morning? That's the question. We need help. We need God's mercy. And we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. May we be contrite before the Lord. Verse 4, there's that word, but. Just like in Romans 6, 23, wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Here is, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared because when we're forgiven, that means our debt is canceled. This is a major turn of events in this psalm. But with you, there is forgiveness. If you should mark out iniquities, who would stand? No one. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Therefore, you are feared. So instead of receiving the punishment we all deserve, instead we can receive God's mercy. We can be forgiven. That means our debt is canceled. I mean, if somebody texted you right now from your bank and said, just want to let you know, your mortgage, canceled. Free and clear. Really? What about my car? That too. What? That's a good day. Lunch on me, everybody. Let's go, right? Anyone wants to pay for it? I'll buy lunch. How about that? Good deal. Forgiven. Debt's canceled. 1 John chapter 1, 7, 8, and 9 explains the power of confession that leads to our debt being canceled. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's how we're forgiven. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? all sin. But if we say, I have no sin. I've always believed. I'm not that bad. I'm pretty religious. I've always tried. I'm not as bad as the next guy. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Michael Lawrence, in a book, Conversion, it's sitting over there. It's one of the Nine Marks book, good book, Understanding Conversion. He says this, to become a Christian is to take up a life of repentance. Jesus described it as taking up our cross and following him. 
It begins at a point in time, but it continues in a life of service and love to God. It's not just a moment that you believe, and that's it. We are the confessing ones. That's what the early church was known at. That when we do wrong, we ought to be quick to say, will you, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Our debt is canceled, so that means our devotion is ignited. This is a direct response. When the debt is canceled, if someone canceled your debt and they said, would you buy me lunch? <laughs> Absolutely. Where do you want to eat? Our devotion It's ignited. It's lit up. Knowing the mercy of God, we become merciful. We're transformed from the inside out. It doesn't feel like something we have to do. I've got to go to church. Oh, I'm supposed to forgive. I don't want to. Wait, wait, wait. I've been forgiven the immeasurable debt. How can I be like Christ? Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, none fear the Lord like those who have experienced his forgiving love. Gratitude for pardon produces far more fear and reverence of God than all the dread which is inspired by punishment. This is what is wrong with the presentation that tries to scare people about hell so that they pray and trust Jesus. It's a decision motivated motivated by fear instead of the gospel motivated by love. You've told me how good Jesus is. I understand how desperately wicked I am and he would have me. Yes, please, and thank you, and here's my life. It's very different than just trying to, where's my get out of hell card? Because I don't want to go there and I don't want to be punished. Forgiveness is freely given from God. So beloved, if we have been forgiven, then we will, as his followers, forgive. Perfectly? No. But we will want to forgive perfectly. So that's why in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus talks about humility, the whole whole chapter is bookend with humility. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Here's a child. And somebody sins against me. And what do you do? How do you confront someone in sin? And, you know, all that process of Matthew 18. And then it comes down to, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? And Jesus tells of the great king, calls in the the servant who's pilfered away millions and says, pay up. Oh, I'll pay up. Have mercy on me. I'll pay up. Be patient with me. But he couldn't. It was an immeasurable debt. He couldn't pay it back. And the the Lord took mercy on him and said, okay, debt's canceled. In other words, I'll take your debt. It just didn't disappear. He said, I'll take the loss. I'll take the hit. You go free. He walks out. His pride's hurt. He finds the person that owes him pennies on the dollar. The guy responds in the same way when he says, pay me what you owe me. He says, have mercy on me. I'll pay you back. And he could. Instead, he throws him in to jail till he pays me back. And the servants come back to the master. They say, you know that guy you forgave a little while ago. We need to tell you what he did. He went out and he didn't forgive. And Jesus says, if anybody who says that they follow me and they function like that and they will not forgive, they will not go to people to work it out. Instead, they just cut them out of their lives. They buy the the theology behind the song. I'm just gonna wash that man out of my hair. I'm just gonna wash those people out of my life. I'm gonna be done with them and I'm gonna go find a new place and I'm gonna go somewhere else. Jesus is saying, it's unthinkable. Don't call yourself my followers. Because my followers forgive. My followers are not those who mark out the faults of everyone. Well, do you know what they did to me? They did this, and they said this, and they did that. I'm done with them. That's not the testimony of a follower of Christ. Why? Because it all sits on the backdrop of, do you know who I am and what I've done? And he in love, the king of glory, left his throne, came to this earth that he created. He walked the dust And he laid down his life and he forgave me everything. How can I not forgive? And forgiveness does not mean it is okay and it doesn't matter what people do. It does. 
but it's leaving God to be the judge instead of us being the one marking out everybody's faults. And that leads us to this, help, mercy, forgiveness, and hope. This is what we need from the Lord. You can't buy any of this. I can't buy any of this. I can't earn any of this. This is a gift from the Lord. This comes from the Lord, and you can't find it in any other place, so wait patiently for the Lord. Here's where there's a whole switch now in this psalm. This is now a proclamation of trust, that he is waiting for the Lord. And he says, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. It's poetic. It's an echo there. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. There's that said, this is free, unmerited favor, and with him is plentiful. That's much. That's very, very much redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. First of all, we see a personal declaration of trust. The psalmist is saying, I trust in the Lord. I'm waiting for the Lord. My soul. I'm not just waiting like, okay, fine, I'm waiting. Everything about me, mine, Strength, body, soul, I'm waiting for the Lord. In his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord. Why? Because he's worth waiting for. Right? What else are you, what else is worth waiting for like this? Wait for the Lord. You ever worked the third shift? How many have worked the third shift? Raise your hand. You wait for the morning. When I worked in Springfield, Missouri, every now and then, the guy who was supposed to work the graveyard shift wouldn't show up. His name was Dean. Where's Dean? No show. Two in the morning. I've got class at eight o'clock in the morning. I guess I'm staying the night. And there was a bakery a block down the road. You know what they do at about three in the morning? When I'm starving hungry, they fire up all the ovens and they start baking bread. And like the cartoon, that smell just would come right over to the Greyhound bus station. And I'd be smelling all that bread, and my stomach would just be going. And I was waiting for the dawn. I was waiting for the morning. And I would leave that bus station and go to the first drive through I could find and get food. I was so hungry. Smelling that bread for hours. Waiting for the morning. Listen, if you're in the night, you're waiting to be relieved. You're waiting for the dawn. And the psalmist is saying, this, I'm waiting for the Lord. This is an open invitation in verses 7 8 for everyone to trust in the Lord. This isn't just for me. This is not just for us, us four, no more, bar the door. Absolutely not. This is for everyone. He is working, the Lord is. He is watching and he's waiting to welcome you. And we can be thankful for this. Israel waited with the rest of the world for Jesus to come in the first event, at the first advent, and he came to redeem, to purchase with his own blood. He came the first time. Spurgeon says this, he says, our iniquities are our worst dangers. If saved from these, we are saved altogether, but there is no salvation from them except by redemption. It's our only hope. Oh, they waited for him to come the first time and Jesus came. And here we are this morning, 2,000 years later, and we're waiting for him to come again. We're waiting for the second coming and he will come again. He will return to receive us to himself. Romans 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's who he is, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be disappointed. Trust in the Lord. Confess him. Confess your sin to him and trust in him. So here's our summary. What do we need from the Lord? Help. We need mercy. We need forgiveness and we need hope. So let's be humble before the Lord. Let's be honest with the Lord. Let's be contrite before the Lord. And beloved, together, let's wait patiently for the Lord. Whatever the situation is in, whatever the circumstance, whatever it is you're praying about out of the depths this morning, wait patiently for the Lord. 
I need to wait patiently for the Lord. So our next steps, here's our questions, all right? Take these with you and over brunch or over lunch or later over dinner or before you go to bed tonight with someone, talk to them about these questions. Work through these questions. I have four of them. When is it most difficult for you to ask for help? And why is that? You're gonna have to be humble if you're gonna talk about this with someone you love. The second question is this, how have I experienced the Lord's mercy and forgiveness in my life? How have I experienced, personally experienced the Lord's mercy and forgiveness in my life? And the third one, who needs to hear from me? Who needs to hear from you? I am sorry. Will you please forgive me for? How long has it been since you've said that? Maybe it's the Lord. And the last question is this, where do I need to trust the Lord more and wait patiently for him? Where do I need to trust the Lord and wait patiently for him? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are full of mercy. Thank you that you never reject the prayers of those who call upon you in truth. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. And will you destroy the multitude of our iniquities, Lord, according to the truth of your promises in your word? And in your word and in your son, Lord, we repose our whole confidence as we've been taught by Jesus, who is the only Savior, our Lord and our Redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.